series, Am I a Healthy Church Member? What, what was the most important decision to you when you decided to join our church? Or maybe you haven't decided yet, all right, but what is most, what's most important to you? Was it the great music? Was it the sparkly children's ministry rooms? Was it the youth ministry program? Was it our plentiful parking? What, what, was it the really comfortable chairs? Was it how amazing this building looks? What, what was that? What was most important to you? Now, all of those things are good. All of the sparkly children's ministry rooms are great. All right. All of those things are good, but none of those things should ever be the decisive factor for why we join the church. The decisive factor for why we join a church is if this is a church where the preaching of God's Word is central to everything that's going on in the service. Every Sunday morning, the, the center of the service, the center of the worship service, should not be the music It should be the Word of God that's preached. This should be the reason, ultimately, why we come every Sunday. More excited than we may be about the songs, as great as that is, all right, I'm the worship leader, right? I I believe in having amazing worship songs that point us to our amazing God, but even more important than the songs that we sing is the Word of God that's preached in the central place that that has to have in the life of the church. If we want a healthy church, we will not ever get to the point of reaching that unless we first get this correct, what this message is all about. And not just having the Word of God at the center of of what the preacher does on Sunday, but at the center of our hearts and what we're actually looking for to the most when we come to church every single Sunday. Book of Nehemiah, it's an incredible book, incredible story. Uh, if you've never read it, you need to read it. Read it in one sitting. It, it will come to life to you. Uh, the book of Nehemiah, in a large part, deals with the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem after the Israelites come back from their captivity in Babylon, which, as you remember, was a result of their own sin, that God kicked them out of their own land, but later, because of his promises, brought them back in. And The walls around Jerusalem were destroyed. And in order for them to have security in their capital city of Jerusalem, they had to rebuild the walls. Otherwise, they were just susceptible to all the attacks of the surrounding nations around them. By Nehemiah 8, the walls are rebuilt, though. But the city is not secure. Or as secure as it could be. Because for the people of Israel... Security ultimately didn't come in bricks and mortar around their building, or around their city. The true security of the city was not its walls, but the centrality of the Word of God among the people of God. That was what was going to bring them security. It was, a, it was their failure of keeping the Word central, and they're pushing the Word aside that caused them to be susceptible to the attacks of Babylon and caused them to be kicked out of their own land. And only insofar as they kept the Word of God central would they be safe and secure in the land that God had promised them. So I'd like for us to stand together, knowing this background. Uh, let's stand together as, as we read Nehemiah 8, 1 through 12. Nehemiah 8, 1 through 12. We're going to read through the whole verses, all the verses. It says, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. 
Nezer the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maaseiah. <laughs> We're going to get through this. Maaseiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Micaiah, Hashum, Hash, Bad, Dana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. You've got to read all of it. You can't skip over it. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleiah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we pray that we would have a similar response to your word as it is read and preached. And that the, the similar response would go beyond just today but would be characterizing of every service that we come to as a church to worship you. Have the same kind of desire for your word as the Israelites have. We pray that your spirit would accomplish this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Now, apart from all the very difficult to pronounce names that are there, what stands out in these verses? the authority of God's word and the longing of the people to come under its authority. If I could use one phrase to describe the attitude of the people of Israel in these verses, it's that they were fully engaged listeners. They were fully engaged listeners to God's word. And it's that attitude that was so crucial to Israel's health and their security. And it's that attitude that is so crucial to our health and our security as a church today. A healthy church member is a fully engaged listener of God's Word. We see two aspects of being fully engaged listener in these verses. And it's these aspects that we're going to focus on in this message. And the first is this. Fully engaged listeners desire biblical preaching. Look, at, look back at verse 1. Verse 1 says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book. It wasn't the leaders, the other leaders in Israel who said, Ezra, bring the book. It's about time for us to read it and preach it. It wasn't the other priests. It wasn't the other Levites or the other scribe. It was the people. The people wanted it. They told Ezra, Ezra, bring the book. And Ezra brought it out. The people were hungry for God's word because they didn't know it. In, in the past decades, in the past centuries, it had largely been decentralized from Israel's life, where they had forgotten even some of the most basic things about God's word and God's law. And as a result, Israel created mess after mess for themselves 
because they decentralized the Word of God from their life as God's people. Yes, throughout Israel's history, you had a few shining lights who brought Israel back to the centrality of the Word. People like King Josiah, who, who brought a reformation and a revival to the people of God by bringing them back to the book of the law and bringing them back to faithfulness to that. But at this time, the people of Israel are largely famished. They, they, do, they did not have God's word. They were hungry for it. But as God was at work, the evidence of God's work was this insatiable desire that they had to hear the word. To hear the law of God read. To hear it explained so they could start following it. So they tell Ezra, bring out the book. And, and the book that it's talking about is the book of the law of Moses, which most likely refers to the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they say, Ezra, bring that out. We want to hear it. So Ezra brings it out. He reads it, but they do more than just read the word. Verse 7 really summarizes what this whole worship service was about. It says, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Ezra read it, the Levites explained it, and the people understood it. That is, in essence, what biblical preaching is all about. It's the reading and the explaining of God's Word. That is what biblical preaching is all about. The technical term for this kind of preaching is this. Next slide, please. Expositional preaching. Some of you may be familiar with that term. Uh, others of you may not be familiar with that term. But the meaning of expositional preaching can be seen in the word expositional. Expositional preaching has as its aim to expose the truth of the text. To read the word, to expose what's already there. Not to impose the preacher's meaning into the text but to read it, to take what's already there, what God has already said, to expose it to plain sight, to explain it, and to bring it to light for everyone to see and to respond to it. Now, there, there are various types of messages that pastors will preach. You have topical messages, which take a, a theme or a topic and uh, look at what the different parts of the Bible have to say about that topic. So if you remember this last summer, we had our Jesus Talks series, and we had specific topics that we dealt with. And these weren't necessarily, you know, through books of the Bible. They, we, looked at, we took the topic, we saw all that the Bible had to say about this, and we applied it to our lives. That's a topical message. You also have biographical messages, which take a character from the Bible, and we we learn from their life truths about God and truths for us and how we are to live our lives in faithfulness to God. Both, both topical messages and biographical messages are used by God. They should always be expositional. They should always have of its goal to take the truth of Scripture, to expose it to plain view so that it can be seen, so that our lives can be changed by it. Now, if, you, if you've been in our church for any length of time, you, you've noticed that the, the kind of preaching that we typically do in our church is expositional messages through books of the Bible. And the reason why we do that is, is the reason why we start at the beginning of the book and we go through all the way to the end of the book is, first of all, the, the Bible wasn't written as a topical manual, Right? It wasn't written as, all right, I have a question about this topic, so I'm going to see all, you know, here are all the verses that have to deal with it. No, the Bible was written as books and as letters that were meant to be read straight through. And only when you read them straight through do you get all the context and, and, and all the meaning that God intended for you to get out of them. Now, there's always benefit, just say, in our own personal devotions. You can open up any chapter and gain benefit from how much more benefit will you gain from it if you actually read through that whole book and you see it in its context? It really comes to life. And that's, first of all, the reason why we preach through books of the Bible in our church. Also, expositional preaching forces pastors to talk about topics that
that's what's coming up next in the book. All right? You can't just skip the parts of a book that you don't like. When it's there, you deal with it. And, and that is a healthy practice for any pastor and any preacher and any church. To, to preach straight through a book, to deal with what's coming up next. You, when you're preaching through Romans, you don't get to skip through chapter 9. As uncomfortable as that chapter makes people. All right? When you're preaching through, uh, when you're preaching through the book of Judges, you don't get to skip over the really gory parts. You have to, you have to deal with them because they're there. And, and there's a reason why they're there. It forces the pastor to deal with what's in the text and not just to deal with the things that they're comfortable with talking about. And it's a good thing for a pastor. It's a good thing for a church. Consistent expositional preaching through books of the Bible, although it's not the only kind of expositional preaching, it has a way of getting God's people grounded in Scripture and to learn to read it for ourselves based on its context and to glean the meaning, not based on what we think it means, but what it's actually saying in its context. And sadly, so much of what passes for preaching in churches today is not biblical preaching. It's not expositional preaching. It's story time with a pastor. Now, you, you know what kind of messages I'm talking about? It's largely the pastor giving lots of personal illustrations with a few Bible verses sprinkled in throughout. That, that's story time with a pastor. That is not biblical preaching. And, and I heard way too many of those messages growing up in church. Now, the, the church that I grew up in largely preached biblical messages expositional messages, but you would get these occasional special speakers who would come in and just share lots of personal stories and have a few Bible verses. And no doubt, it was engaging, all right, because stories are engaging to us, but it lacks the power of preaching God's Word. The, when, you, when you end with one of those messages, those kind of messages, you're going to hear some really good stories, but you're going to have to say, there wasn't much Bible in that. Those are not biblical messages. Those are not the kind of messages that, that God expects of pastors and, and expects for churches. Those are not the kind of messages that will bring revival and reformation in the church. That will draw a crowd, but it will not create the mighty work of God. God will not bless a church greatly if that church is not committed to the centrality of the Word. An expositional preacher's task is simple. But it's profound. Read the Bible, explain it in a way that's understandable, and apply it to the lives of the church. And then sit down and let God do the rest. That is the job of an expositional preacher. And, and, and do you see how the people respond to that kind of preaching in verse 12? They made great rejoicing. Why? Because they had understood the words that were listening to a message, and, and, the, and the preacher brings out an insight in that passage that you had never seen before. Or you've read it over and over again, but the pastor brings out some, some amazing truth about God or some, some uh, amazing truth uh, that you need to apply to your life in that specific circumstance that you're in right there. And you're like, wow, I have never seen that before. And there's this excitement and this thrill in that. That's what they were experiencing, and that's the kind of preaching that our hearts need. Right? That's the kind of preaching that we long for, for the, the truth of God's Word to be exposed to us, for it to be preached in a way that's understandable and, and powerful in our lives. The, 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 the point of understandable messages is important. All right? Because sometimes people think of expositional preaching as this really long, boring lectures, all right? by really boring pastors, and some expositional preaching is that. But it should not be. The goal of an expositional preacher is to take God's Word and to make it understandable to the whole congregation. Martin Luther, the great reformer, the, the great theologian, said, my goal in a sermon is for a seven-year-old to understand the sermon. Here's this theological job. All right, greatly used by God. And his goal was to make it understandable to a seven-year-old. That should be the goal of a preacher, to make it understandable 
to the people so that the lights can turn on and that our hearts can be excited about the truths that we're finding. That was the desire of this whole crowd of people. There's this excitement and this rejoicing over the fresh discoveries that they were finding as they were hearing the Word of God read and preached. And that is what biblical preaching is all about. And a healthy church member will say, that's the kind of preaching that I want. That's the kind of preaching that my heart needs. And just like Ezra, just like the people told Ezra, bring the book, that should be, you have the freedom as a church before a message to come up to me or to Pastor Jack or whoever's preaching and say, bring the book. Lee Monday, one of our deacons, will often say before a message, preach the word. All right, that, we need to hear that, right? That, that needs to be the expectation of a healthy church member for the word to be preached. That needs to be the demand of every church member. If ever we get away from that, if ever we stop preaching biblical messages, run away. <laughs> run away scared, all right? Because it's a church that will lose the blessing of God on it. Healthy church members are fully engaged listeners who, first of all, demand biblical preaching, and second of all, they actively listen to biblical preaching. Look at the end of, of verse 3. It says, And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So all the people are there, standing together in this massive crowd. They were not passive listeners. They were active listeners. Their ears were attentive to the book of the law. They were there to learn. They were here. They were there to hear from God. Did you notice how long they stood there with their ears attentive? Scott knows. <laughs> Scott knows. It was from early morning until when? Till midday. How's that for a church service? How's that for a worship service? Anybody up for that next Sunday? Early morning. Get here at 6 a.m. Jason back there is up for that. All the way till noon. Six hours of preaching. Who's up for that? All right? Okay. They were up for it. They were wanting that. that that's, their, their ears were attentive to all of that preaching. They were hungry for that. Today, in American churches, typically today, 45 minutes. That's too long. Because we've got to eat lunch. All right, we've got to get the lunch. We've got to get the Applebee's real quick. All right, right after the service. May, we may have a little bit to learn and grow from the hunger of the Israelites for the Word of God to be preached. It's not saying that we're going to have six-hour messages from here on out. But in some of the old Puritan churches in England, uh, in, in, the front of the, in the front of the, the building, you, you'll find an hourglass holder in the front of the building. We don't have those today. What, what was an hourglass holder doing in the front of the building? Well, you would put an hourglass in it, and the hourglass was there, not to tell the preacher when the hour was up and we had to stop talking. But the hourglass was there because the people said, we want you to preach at least one hour. And they would often flip it over two times. So they were expecting their pastor, Pastor, you will preach for at least two hours and maybe three if you have enough material. That is what we want from you. Sunday morning with a thimble ready to be filled up, or do you come to church on Sunday morning with this huge cup ready to be filled? One of those like big, massive movie theater cups ready to be filled with God's Word, right? If you come with a thimble, you're going to get very little out of the message. But if you come with a massive cup ready to be fed and you're thirsty for the Word, you will get so much more. That is the kind of desire that we should have. Not a thimbleful desire, but a, 
specific cupful desire for God's word. These these Christians back then in England were hungry for God's word, the same way that these Israelites were hungry for it. And hours on hours of Bible teaching wasn't boring to them. It was life-giving to them. It was changing them on the spot. It was changing their hearts. But active listening to biblical preaching doesn't end with simply hearing the message. And that's it. Active listening to preaching means that when the message is over, you intend to act on it. That, that you have to have the desire. It's not just about getting my cup filled. It's about taking that full cup and start pouring it out in obedience to God. And that's exactly how the Israelites respond in verses 9 through 12. In, in the middle of the preaching, they respond to the message by weeping. And the reason why they're weeping is as the word of God is being read, they're saying all the ways that their lives are falling short of God's expectations and God's commandments. When's the last time that we wept when we were confronted by God's word? It's not often for us. We should pray that God will affect our hearts in, in a deeper way as a church. We should not come to church on Sunday morning with this, you know, everything's good, right? My Christian life is good. Um, I've got everything together. But we should, at times, feel open to pouring our hearts out and weeping because we are failing at obeying God. The Israelites respond in confession and weeping, but... Even though that's an appropriate response to conviction of sin, after the confession is made, after the repentance is, is, is made to God, they say, stop crying and start rejoicing. All right, There is a time for weeping when you realize how, how much you're falling short. But after the confession is made, rejoice because your fellowship with God has been restored. You are forgiven. Go out with this renewed desire to live and obey God. Stop Cry and start rejoicing because your life has been changed by God's word. That's what an active listener does. He listens to the word, he's affected by it, and he responds to it with obedience. If there was ever an active listener to God's word, it was Jesus Christ. Jesus' head and his heart was filled and overflowing. With the scriptures. From childhood, you remember when Jesus was 12 in the temple? He was there listening to the teachers, the Jewish teachers, and he was actually there astounding the teachers with his knowledge of scripture. Because Jesus, throughout his whole life, every Sabbath would be in the Sabbath. Every Sabbath he would be in the synagogue, and he would hear the word of God preached. He would hear it met, and he would be listening attentively to it. He was filling his heart and his life with it. Jesus didn't have a personal copy of the Old Testament that he, he brought around with him. He was fed the Word of God in the, in the synagogue every single week. And we find even in Luke 4, after Jesus had begun his adult ministry, he still made it his custom to be in the synagogue every single Sabbath. Here you have the Son of God, the Messiah, who still goes to church. All right, and, and for sure, Jesus heard bad sermons. He's like, just butchered that one, took that one out of context. Sure, surely that happened, but Jesus was there to hear the Word of God read, to hear it taught. He was hungry for it, even as the Son of God. In fact, in Jesus' temptations by Satan in the wilderness, he quotes Deuteronomy when he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That was true for Jesus himself. He lived off of the word of God. It's where he found his strength. It's where he found his nourishment. And that verse isn't just true for him. It has to be true for us. Right? If, that true, if that verse is true for Jesus, he found his strength and his nourishment in the word. It has to be true for us even so much more the hunger and the thirst after God's word. And it's the powerful working of Christ himself and the Holy Spirit who will take us sinners 
who are naturally fighting against God's word and don't want to hear it. And Christ and the Spirit will cause us, as Psalm 119.16 says, to delight in the word of God. No Christian, no believer in Christ should ever be satisfied until they reach that point. That they delight in the word of God. If you are not there right now, if your delight, if your joy is not in the Word of God, do not be satisfied with that. Do whatever it takes to get God's Word in your heart, to make it your delight, to make it your joy. It was for Jesus. It has to be for us. We have to be active listeners who delight in the Word. To be Anabuile, in his book, What is a Healthy Church Member?, which is series thematically is based off of, he offers six practical ideas that can help us as church members to to cultivate more delight in and more anticipation for God's Word every Sunday. And the the first thing that he offers as an application is meditate on the sermon passage during your quiet time during the week. So, a few days before Sunday... Feel free to contact the pastor and to ask the pastor, what's the message going to be on this Sunday? What's the passage? And, and tell him that you're, you're praying for him, that, that you want to read it before, and start thinking about it yourself. Start getting into the, the passage for yourself. You're, you will get so much more out of the message on Sunday if you don't show up surprised at what the passage is going to be. If you actually spend time on your own reading it and thinking about it and meditating. Secondly, invest in a good set of commentaries. So when we're, when we're preaching through a book of the Bible as a church, ask the pastor, what, what's a good commentary that I can get my hands on, that I can be reading through as we go through this book of the Bible? If Bible commentators have spent more time on that book than any of us will ever be able to spend. They have invested time and prayer into digging into the truths of that Book, and we would be crazy not to in, uh, you know, invest into the insights and the applications that those commentary that those commentators have had in their study of the word. Third, talk and pray with friends about the sermon after church. Often uh, after church on Sunday, what does our conversation go to? It goes to you know, you know. You know, seeing our friend, talking, you know, catching up, how did your week go, all right, how's things going, talking about the news or the weather. Those are fine, but how much more healthy would our church be if after the message, the first thing that we were talking about to each other is, what did God teach you in the message? What did God show you about himself that surprised you or encouraged you? What, what did God show you that comforted you? If we actually started talking, what did you learn? What did God teach you through the message? If that was our conversation, both after church and as we go out to lunch together, uh, as we go back home and have lunch as a family, what did God teach you this morning in this service? How much more healthy of a church we would be. We should be seeking to create a culture where, after the sermon, we are talking about the sermon, that it's filling our conversation. Fourthly, listen to and act on the sermon throughout the week. James 1, 22-25 tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And a great way to do that is to listen to over again uh, on our website the message from the, the previous Sunday. To, to listen to it, to, to remind yourself of what God taught you, maybe to catch some things that you missed, to get it more into your heart, but also with the desire to start doing it. Okay. Occasionally, when I'm taking notes during the message, if, if taking notes is what you do, if God really brings something to my, my sight, that's like, wow, I need that. I need to apply that. I will just put a little arrow by it. So I can come back later and say, that's something I need to work on. That's something that I, I need to think about more. And maybe that would be a, a helpful practice to you to say, this is something that I need to take for, through, from this sermon and apply it to my own life. Number five, develop the habit of addressing questions about the text itself. So before Sunday, as you're reading through the passage, if if you come across anything in there that you don't understand, don't just wait till the the message on Sunday. Try to to search for an answer on your own. Dig into that commentary that you're looking 
see if they provide a good answer. Dig into other Bible study tools and try to search the scriptures on your own. See if you can find the answer to that question that you have. There is, as thrilling as discoveries can be during a message, there is more, there is even more excitement when you discover those things in your own personal Bible study. Our Bible study leaders, our Sunday school teachers will probably tell you that's true. When you when you're studying the word and these new insights are coming to you, it's exciting. And, and we should we should be studying the word on our own and trying to, to answer these questions in our own time. Number six, though, is hugely important. We need to cultivate humility. We should not be a church of people who become professional sermon listeners or sermon critiquers, all right? Who compare the the messages on Sunday morning to our favorite radio preacher, who's obviously a lot better than uh, the guy up here, right? Uh, we, We should come to church with humility, ready to learn, hungry to learn, 1 Corinthians 8.1 warns us against knowledge that can puff up, right? Knowledge can puff up. Uh, we, and it will if our desire is not to take what we're learning and to apply it. We need to come with humility to the Word and seek to receive it into our lives and to live it out. In Nehemiah 8, we are seeing the dawn of reformation. As they get back into the Word, as they are being refashioned and reshaped and revived by the Word of God. The great periods of revival in both the early church and throughout church history have always, always been the result of powerful biblical preaching. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about revival and reformation in the history of the church. He says, what is it? that always heralds the dawn of Reformation or revival. It is renewed preaching. Not only a new interest in preaching, but a new kind of preaching. A revival of true preaching has always heralded these great movements in the history of the church. And of course, when the Reformation and revival come, when Reformation and revival come, they have always led to great and notable periods of the greatest preaching that the church has ever known. As that was true in the beginning, as described in the book of Acts, it was also after the Protestant Reformation. Luther, Calvin, Knox, Latimer, Ridley, all these men were great preachers. In the 17th century, you had exactly the same thing. The great Puritan preachers and others. In the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards, Whitfield, the Wesleys, Rollins and Harris were all great preachers. It it was an era of great preaching. Now, we can never cause a revival to happen in our church. We, We can't cause it to happen in our church, in our community, in our country. Revivals ultimately are powerful workings of God by His Spirit. But we can, as a church, do what God has called us faithfully to do. And that is praying for God to bring his powerful blessing on our church as we preach his word faithfully week after week. We are like a sailboat. We can't cause the wind to blow to move us forward. But we can open up our sails, ready to receive the wind when it does come. As a church, we need to do whatever we can to be ready to receive the blessing of God when it comes. We open up the sails. We are a church that needs to be centered on the Word and centered on prayer and centered on what the rest of the series is, is becoming healthy church members. And when that is true for us, when we're striving for that to be true for each of our lives as church members, if God chooses to bring the fresh wind of His Spirit to this church, So let's do what we need to do to become healthy church members so that if and when God chooses to bless powerfully, we be ready. Healthy church members are fully engaged listeners and doers of the Word. So when you
you come to church on Sunday, don't come with a thimble. Come with a cup. Bring and receive the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we will not have this desire in our hearts unless your Spirit first gives it to us. So we pray that right now you would begin a work where every Sunday we come into this church and we are hungry for you. We are desperate for you. We want most of all to hear your words. And we are ready to be changed by it. God, your spirit has to do this. And we ask that you will. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Right now we're going to have Pastor Jack and Lee Mundy come to the front, and they are going to update us on our search for a new senior pastor. Pretty hard to follow that up. Tremendous message, tremendous challenge. Uh, uh, quite emotional for me to just listen to that, folks. But you're not supposed to do this, really, because he's humble. I think that deserves a round of applause. That was a great message. In, in order to make sure that we're all on the same page and we all understand the same rules and the same things that govern us in the search for a new pastor, um, I am going to share with you uh, some things that are important for all of us to know. And I'm going to share things from our Constitution. This will just, for our visitors, this will just take a few minutes. If you've got to go, uh, feel free to go, but it's interesting stuff. You might as well stay. Uh, but, but anyway, um, first thing I want to share with you is back on June 24th in 2012, our church voted to adopt and abide by our Constitution. The, the doctrinal statement is what we believe. The Constitution is how we agree to live together. Uh, the, the Constitution may not have all the Bible in it, but it will never contradict the Bible. So, so we adopted our Constitution. And when you became a member of Faith Baptist Church, you agreed to abide by and give assent to that Constitution. Everyone who's a member says, I will abide by it, and I give my assent to that. Number three, the pulpit committee, and in our church, the deacons, have a responsibility to abide by the Constitution as they carry out their responsibility to the Lord and to the church. Now, with all of that in mind, I would like to share with you what their responsibility is and the process in which it is to be carried out when it comes to uh, selecting a new pastor. Okay? This is the assignment right out of the bulletin on the pulpit committee. It'll be up, up here behind me. What I did was take the paragraph and break it into one-line sentences. And, and it goes like this. Immediately upon the termination of the service of the senior pastor, the board of deacons shall become the pulpit committee. Their first responsibility shall be to seek the Lord and his total guidance and will concerning the selection of a senior pastor. The word selection is important. It's not election. It's selection. The committee shall examine a prospective pastor one at a time concerning his doctrine and practice. Upon a majority vote of this committee, a prospective pastor may be invited to come to the church so that he might better know the church and the 
church members can get to know him. Are you, are you going to talk about stages or, or not? Because I, I can say something about what happened last Sunday. Okay. Um, last Sunday was that step in the process with with Daniel Pats. Invited to come to the church that we might better know the church. He might better know the church and the church members can get to know him. This will be accomplished through his preaching, teaching, and interaction with the people. Following this relationship activity, and upon majority vote of the pulpit committee, he may be invited to a return visit as a candidate. When this is done, a business meeting of the church will be held following this man's reappearance. Often it's on the very same Sunday, at which time he will be voted on as candidate. And that's the whole church would be doing the voting then. If the vote carries, he will then be invited to come as senior pastor of the church. If the candidate accepts the invitation, then he would become the senior pastor of Faith Baptist Church of Linden, Michigan. I just have a note here on mine. Maybe it's up there, too. A note, a vote carries when two-thirds of the qualified members assembled vote to call the candidate as a senior pastor. So here's a quick summary of the steps involved. Step one, we hear a sermon from a prospective pastor. Step two, the pulpit committee invites a prospective pastor to come again or get acquainted time, and the public committee may invite the uh, prospective pastor to return as a candidate. Step three, the prospective pastor returns as an official candidate for the pastor of FPC when he returns. And then following that step three, the church hears him one more time, and the church votes to invite him to be their pastor, and if they do, then the candidate can agree to become our pastor. Okay, and the emphasis there is one at a time. Uh, we may hear a sermon from another preacher. However, that person could not become a candidate unless we fail to call the candidate one at a time now. We are currently talking. So I would remind you, this is not a, an election. It's a selection that goes through a process. We call it a theocracy. God rule through his word, by his spirit, and through his people. That's what's going on here. And folks, we want the mind of God. And that's how that we have said would do it. That's how you said you would do it back when you joined the church and agreed to it with the Constitution. That's how we as a church said we would do it uh, way back in on June 24th in 2012. And we're simply doing what we said we would do. And the public committee has a, a lot of responsibility on their shoulders. In fact, there's probably not a weightier task Sent on the email. I, I have to apologize. Stated that we had two candidates. Um, they had a word in the Constitution that was not. So we had two pastor prospects. And in total, I think we had maybe seven or eight resumes. And the first job was we asked our uh, elders, Pastor Jack and Pastor uh, Jay, to go through the, uh, their, their doctrine, make sure his doctrine. Then we had some discussion about if they were fits. And it came down to two pastor prospects. Uh, and I would like to give you an update on both those prospects. Of course, the first was Daniel. Hopefully, you had all, all of you had a chance to talk to Daniel last week. 
I know have told me that you fall in love with Daniel and Molly so already. Um, and so you asked me when the vote is already. We have not, and that is step three, as, as Pastor Jack talked about this. That's step three. We have not reached step three yet, even though some of you asked for that. We appreciate that. And we continue to ask for your input. If you have a strong input, please let us know uh, either way. Uh, but we are not there yet. Let me tell you what we have done. We have, so far, we have contacted about half of Daniel's references. And the idea is that uh, uh, I plan on talking to everyone's references. In addition, uh, I recruited my son, Jacob. And Jacob and I went down to um, Dunbar, Wisconsin, to Northland. He was preaching at a family camp, and we want to see him in his environment, not just in our environment. Because I want to see not just uh, if that was a typical message, uh, the ones that ones that we heard, as well as I want to see his, his how he how he behaved. Uh, and I will tell you, I was extremely impressed by his humility, uh, by the love of uh, the people at the camp with him, and even there were some special things. There was a guy sort of uh, I think he had some kind of special needs that uh, that kept hanging around him, but uh, he's just so gentle guy. He actually has love for his. Uh, for his, I guess what I would consider his flock there at the, at the college. Um, so we still have a couple of uh, references to check out. He has, a, a, I, I, I really applaud it, he sent some some questions of us. What are our strengths, what are the weaknesses, what are we looking for a pastor? He just sent yesterday. So we're continuing dialogue, and I talk to him on a regular basis about where we are, and we will do that. The other prospect is uh, Chris Gilly, prospect. Um, again, I've been in regular communication with Chris. Uh, he went through his ordination council and uh, is now an official pastor. Uh, presently, he is running through uh, an internship for a pastorate. Um, we asked him, sent some questions to him about uh, his, his doctrine. Uh, he has sent that back to him. We will be asking Chris in the next couple of weeks to just come and serve in pulpit supply. So you have a chance to meet Chris, and you can hear him and preach. Um, that's where we are with his two prospects. Again, feel free to ask questions of the Pastor Jack or Pastor Jay, uh, myself, or any of the deacons about where we are. We want to go through this as, as quickly as possible, but at the same time, we want to do it in the right manner. I would ask you for prayers for our pastors, for our pulpit committee, uh, and prayer for the, this process, because we do want to do it right. I think we have two great godly men uh, that we're talking to right now. Uh, I'm sorry, Pastor West as well. Uh, we already have a, I'm sorry that I didn't mention you, we already have a, a great guy for the youth here. So please feel free to give me questions as well as your comments, uh, things you like at this point. Okay? Thank you very much. Any closing music? Okay, and you know, I'm sure you don't want to hear me sing, so uh, yeah, we're adjourned.